My name is Barry Siragusa, and this is the Hunting Hound Podcast presented by W Hunting Supply. Join us as we go deep discussing hounds and everything hound related with the men and women from around the globe who've dedicated their lives to hunting with hounds. We ask them about the game they pursue, the breeds they run, and to get their insight into what it means to be a modern-day houndsman. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Leave us a comment and subscribe wherever podcasts are available. I hope I didn't put you too far behind on your schedule. No, 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 no. This is this is great. Um, I really appreciate you coming on, and we. Uh, this was the uh, this was the the thing that was going to end my week was the sitting down and talking to you. So I've been looking forward to this all week. It's been a, it's been a crazy week too. It's been uh, a lot at work and my wife crashed and totaled the, my dog truck uh, on Tuesday. Oh no. Is she okay? She's totally fine. Both kids are totally fine, which I'm so oh. thankful for. So the, uh, the truck mm. is replaceable. So I'm, uh, I'm happy. I'm, not worried about the truck at all. That's okay. Uh, well, that, replaceable. that's certainly good. Well, <clears throat> I've been battling this COVID deal. Yeah. How are you feeling? Uh, yeah. I, well, I'm, I'm just finally getting, I'm, I think today is either the 14th or 15th day and I'm, you know, my strength is coming back. Um, it's, it was just one of those deals for me, <clears throat> a little bit of tick in my voice and I, I there's not much I can do about that. No worries. But, um, uh, but at any rate, uh, just no energy, yeah. just absolutely put me flat on my back. I mean, I just couldn't get enough energy to do anything. Uh, otherwise, no other symptoms, you know, no really? lung problems or anything. Wow. So, Interesting. <clears throat> yeah. My wife and I both went through it. So uh, anyway, so it's been an interesting week for me, too. I did manage to get a show recorded uh a day late i'm sure shannon was screaming at me out there but uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh Sh shannon's got the uh she's got the patience of an angel with all this baloney she puts up with for me anyway so oh, well, i'll only for speak for too. myself right well i can identify for sure <clears throat> yeah. well i'm yours whatever you want to talk about uh, i thought i'd just let it let it rock, rock your way whatever well, you want to do sounds great yeah well there was nothing like there's a whole bunch of things I'd love to talk to you about, but mainly I just wanted to get you on here because I wanted to, you know, I was looking forward to talking to you, I guess about a couple of years ago, we were going to sit down and do, I, right. I came on another podcast that you were a part of back then and, mm -hmm. um, and you didn't end up being, you weren't on that episode and then, um, never kind of got to, I catch up to you until now so i basically just wanted to catch up catch up to you yeah. I, you know i've listened to listen to all your podcasts from the very very beginning um and uh, i've have enjoyed have enjoyed them i really uh, i, I kind of loved the 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 storyteller's voice you brought to those to your podcast and continue to bring to your podcast so i was really excited to see you getting onto the w platform uh, with your with your current podcast is a, is a lot of fun to listen to. You've gotten some great guys on there. I really, really enjoyed the, um, the, the one that you did just telling the story of your, how you got into the plots and how your hmm. father got into the plots. You know, I've, I've just gotten into, um, just gotten my first plot myself. Right. A little, little less than a year ago. And looks like you, uh, had some beginner's luck there. 
I th- boy, Hello, tell me peace. about it. <laughs> tell me about it. There is, there's, you know, there's. You'd be hard pressed to find a bigger knucklehead in this sport than me. I think, and uh, you know, I'm I am a beginner. I am green as they come with the hounds. You know, I've done did the huskies for a while, and there's a lot of similarities, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of differences too. And this is a much much better dog than I have any then it makes any sense that I've got, you know, uh, based yeah. on how much experience I have. He's a, he's, he's a gritty hard dog and, uh, is, is doing some impressive, impressive things that are just kind of leaving me scratching my head. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to best sort of approach training him, you know, without, uh, taking away that magic. That right. Going. Well, the pot dog is a different guy. He, um, you know, the, I used to say that they were the utility dog of the Southern Appalachians, which they were. I mean, they herded the stock. They babysat the kids. They mm. treed the squirrels. They chased the bears. They caught the hogs. They treed the coons. Mm. Uh, you know, they guarded the, the homestead. Mm. Uh, they were an all-around uh, character there, and they um, didn't uh, – you know, they were kind of particular at in the early days of, of who they buddied up with. You know, they got the reputation of kind of being a little bit of one-man dog. A lot of the bad rap that the plots got about being aggressive with other dogs was, was unfounded. And that was just strictly a, a <clears throat> carryover from the idea that they were big game dogs. They were okay. a hog and bear hunting dogs so if you're going to tackle a bear you must be mean you must you must be tough to do that sure sure so that just kind of carried over but through down through the years of my experience with the breed we never encountered any of that um undue dog aggressiveness you know young male dogs in a kennel are going to posture and they're going to kind of you know try to get that uh, ego thing worked out you know and yep. all but you got to be on top of that when they're young and if you do uh you know you let them know right away that, that that's not acceptable we're not going to go that route so uh, right but at any rate that was um you know i grew up with that dog mm. so uh in my mind hunting a walker hound or a blue tick or a red bone was kind of a tame thing you know kind sure. of a <laughs> you know i mean yeah those are hounds and and they you know you can catch game with them and that's all cool but if you really want to up your game a notch you know right. and put a little more excitement in it sure you know, oh you know go with the plot but that was always you know the kind of the kind of uh, uh, attitude I had toward the breed, you know, from the time I was very, very young guy. Sure, sure. I can. I mean, I can see. I can see why. You know, I I have a running walker here, and I've got a grade walker uh, cross with a Russian hound um, mm-hmm. as well. And there, I mean, it's the difference between. It's the difference between trying to get somewhere as fast as you can in a car and a Sunday drive. It's, I mean, it's, mm. it's that big of a difference hunting the, those yeah. other two compared to hunting that, that plot, you know, that plot, I need to be on my game. I need to be ready to walk. I need to be, you know, prepared to be out there for like, mm-hmm. you know, the other day, 30, 38 hours, you know, to wow. get him back. 
And, you know, these other guys, it's like, I can go out in the morning and be like, okay, I'm, I'll, you know, I'll be back by lunch and be reasonably mm-hmm. sure that that's true, you know, but with that, with that plot, it's like, well, I'll, I'll try and be back by work on Monday, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, back in the days before the GPS or, or telemetry collars, you know, it was a common thing for us to lose dogs. Mm. Because they just basically didn't have any come comeback button. They had no quit. Right. You know, if it was a young dog that messed up and was running a deer or whatever, you know, back in those days, I remember we hunted in an area called Camp Creek State Forest, and we hunted in the headwaters of this creek, mm-hmm. and it was like four miles down off the mountain another four miles back up onto the next ridge in the high country and the creek dropped off and, and went downstream to a state park mm-hmm. and headquarters area where there was a superintendent that lived and all. And, you know, if the dogs got after a deer, we knew what we got to do is walk back to the truck. However, far down that Canyon, we were getting the vehicle and drive around several miles and come out in the bottom of that part down mm-hmm. toward the mouth, because that's where those dogs were going to come out okay. because it was a river down there and they would take that deer to the river, you know, and they, there wasn't any pecking around on it. And, uh, and also when we, you know, it got to be a serious game to break a young dog real quick. Yeah. Oh, know? sure. And, uh, and we had to do that. They weren't all naturally straight, but as the years went on with the breeding, uh, a lot of that came, came out of them and they were, sure. were easy, more easily programmed to the game that we wanted to run. You know? Sure. So you, you were able to breed, you guys, you were able to breed that out of them a little bit. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's interesting. Cause yeah, that, I mean, you know, um, the, the Walker I've got, I've got a running Walker and, um, mm-hmm. she is the. She she has been the trashiest hound I've ever hunted, um, or hunted over. She's she's if if she's she'll hunt the first thing she sees is basically her thing, and if it's a yeah. fox, she does a fantastic job. I've had some just just fun fox hunts with her, but if it's a deer, that's uh, that's that's your day blown trying to get mm-hmm. in front of her yeah. and those and those deer and that that. that yeah. That can be frustrating. Um, the The Russian was the straightest. I mean, he was he was the straightest dog I've ever seen. He was the he he started fox. It was the first thing he started, and he never looked sideways. He wouldn't run Pine Martin. He wouldn't run Badger. He wouldn't run you know anything else. Never ran anything else than fox. And this uh, this Dan dog, this uh, this plot, he'll he'll run he'll run fox. He'll run lynx and he'll run bear and that i'm fine with all of those things and he'll run badger which i'm fine with but he he won't run roe deer or the smaller deer species but he'll run moose because he got Mm. kicked he got kicked in the face by a moose as a pup and Mm. it seemed like vendetta yeah (laughs) i mean unbelievable like just he was four and a half months old got kicked smack in the nose and Mm. uh it just seems like he's got a vendetta for him. If he can, if he can run one, he'll run one. And he yeah. gets in a little bit too close. I'm, I'm, 
if I had, if I, if I was a betting man, that would be, uh, unless I can figure out a way to break him of that. Cause here in Norway, we're not, we can't use the, uh, the shock collars. Hmm. Um, so if, you know, if I can't figure out a way to break him of the moose stuff, if I was a betting man, my guess would be that that's how he's eventually going to end his days as a hunting dog is by getting mm. in a little bit too close with a, with a, a bull or a, or a female with a calf. Well, now would would that be a bull be more apt to, uh, catch him with the antlers or catch him with a, with a, a back foot, say, um, like a, a, a kick. Actually, the, the, the way that they tend to get them and the way, like the way that the moose got them the last time. And I've, I've been chased by moose a couple of times back, back in Maine where they come at you with your, with their front feet. Mm. They'll lash right out straight with their front feet. You. They've got yeah. a much better range of motion, like a cow or something, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, they're, mm -hmm. they're able to get their front feet almost yeah. above their heads and just bring them slamming, you know, slam them wow. down. Um, yeah. And, the, you know, the bull might wave a little bit and threaten a little bit with his antlers and might do, might do a charge with the antlers, but it seems like for the most part, the videos I've seen and my own experiences with, with the moose, um, is that they tend to go in with their front feet. Uh, I see. Yeah. For, for some reason. Well, it seems like no matter where you hunt, uh, there's some kind of animal out there that wants to eat your puppy, you mm. know, or. And here, of course, it's the alligator, uh, sure. in Florida where I am, uh, in, across the Northern tier of the U S now it's the wolf, yeah, uh, that's you a bad know, deal. which is just devastating yeah. to, to the hounds people. Oh, it's terrible. Uh, you know, back in our day, it was, you know, primarily the, the, uh, getting a dog injured severely or killed by a bear, you know, which has right. happened more times than than we wanted for sure sure but, uh, it's a dangerous game it is a dangerous game you know and it's and th and that's how it's gonna be you know i i had a um one of the very it, it doesn't seem like it's very often that the really great dogs live to be ancient mm-hmm you know mm -hmm. one of the one of the very best uh, the only example i can think of in recent memory anyway is um, one of the really good, uh, brown bear plots over here, um, was a dog that, uh, the, uh, Swedish bear hunter Rasmus, um, Bullström imported from British Columbia. Hmm. Um, and that dog, his name was Boss, was just an unbelievable dog or, uh, Bla Blazer was his name unbelievably a good dog uh was able to stop bears keep them stay keep them there very very rarely got injured and lived until he was 11 or 12 you know which yeah. was uh exceptional. which was exceptional you know but yeah. his uh his kids have are not living that long they're uh, a little bit more intense it seems mm -hmm. so they're getting themselves into a little bit more trouble well, it's interesting down through the years, and if you follow the chronological uh, story there of those bear pin bread plots, mm -hmm. uh, some of the most successful of those dogs were the dogs that were hurt the least. Um, mm -hmm. They were certainly aggressive, and the 
the bear pen fancy female, which was out of the first cross of the Butch Jill dogs, mm. she got hurt several times. She mm. was a close fighter. She got bit through the flues on both sides of her muzzle. Mm-hmm. She got bit clear through the brisket one time. Um, both, both sides where you could stick fingers through there. She got hit in the, uh, lower abdomen one time and it bursted that peritoneum in there and all of her intestines were hanging in a sack, like a, looked like a basketball, uh, hanging there. So she, she would get in there and mix it up, but she never did get fatally killed. Right. Uh, Fatally killed. That's a little. (laughs) I know what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's that's really killed right there. Yeah, that's really killed. Me. That's uh, you don't come back from that. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, then her. But let's see, granddaughter Julie. Yep. Uh, was probably you know we probably looked at more bear over over Julie than than any female that we had, mm. and she never got hurt. Right. But her tactic was she was a mosquito. Uh, okay. a yellow jacket. She was all around buzzing all around, yep. you know, and in and out, in and out and more of a harassment game sure. than actual. I don't know how much pain she ever put on a bear, Okay, but she definitely could make one climb a tree <laughs> when the other dogs were struggling. She annoyed, that she done, annoyed them. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Just sure. annoyed. Yeah. So, but, um, well, you know, when I was a kid and started out, you know, and thinking about bear hunting and my dad brought home that first story of the dogs catching a bear over uh, this uh, rain swollen creek and in the middle of a howling snowstorm and mm. fighting the bear and all. I always envisioned this, that bear hunting was all about a war between mm. a dog and a bear, you know. And as I got to be older, I learned that so many more components to it than that, you know, and then sure. became a, um, pretty much a student of, of dogs, the way they trailed and the way they, uh, you know, handled different scenting conditions and, and terrain conditions and, and how they related to the other members of the pack that you were hunting them with and sure. all those kind of things. And I, I'm certainly don't know all there is to know about any of that stuff, but it became, you know, kind of a lifelong thing for me to just, just, uh, study that stuff. And, sure. and it was because of my dad, a lot of that too, because he was a student of those things. He was what I'd call a consummate woodsman. You know, he, he was totally aware of everything that was going on around him mm. when he was outdoors. And okay. I was always kind of the ADHD kid, you know, <laughs> my mind was bouncing around everywhere, but sure yeah yeah it is endlessly fascinating the you know just work working dogs in general i've been fascinated with since i was just you know Mm -hmm. itty bitty guy um you know which is why i've had working dogs you know uh since i was 10 um but you know the hounds are you know the, the the sled dogs you've got this thing where it's in some ways there's less trust involved you know the dogs need to trust you that you're not going to push them too hard and let them go too hard because they'll they they have this sort of you know genetic predisposition to just want to go and if you let them you know a sled dog will run itself to death i get you but the the 
the the basic thing with the sled dogs is that they are bottom line always tied to you. You know, it's like walking a big pack of dogs on a leash. There are they are, you know, you're attached to them. They can't go anywhere that you don't allow them to go. Right. And that's been a real new thing for me with the hounds is just that that ability to just learning that ability to just let them go and let them go out and do their thing and work, you know, work naturally way far away from me where I have, it's sort of that release of control has been the hardest part for me, you know, transitioning to the hounds. And I I knew early on that that was going to be the hardest part. So I've, I've had to come up with ways. Sometimes I need to literally, literally put a hand over my own mouth and just sit down and make myself sit down and be quiet and let them work to, you know, over the years, having younger people or newbies or whatever come and hunt with me, hmm. uh, that's something that's pretty common there. You see, with the, that fear of releasing this dog, hmm. total freedom, you know, how will I get it back? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Where if it goes somewhere, I don't want it to go. What right. do I do? And it's, it's dawning to a person who's never fooled with hounds before. It is. Absolutely. It it absolutely (laughs) is. It's, um, it's, it's been a learning, a learning curve. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's endlessly fascinating to me. And, and that's, you know, it's, it's why I got into it. It's why I, you know, why, why I started the podcast, not because I felt like I had anything particularly of value to add to the dialogue, but because it gave me the excuse that I felt like I needed to, you know, talk mm-hmm. to people like yourself, people that I, you know, can, you know, who have the, who have done the things that I want to do, have seen the things that I want to see and, you know, can, gives me the excuse I need to talk to those people, you know. And try well, and there's always someone out there that has more experience, that has done more, who has, you know, seen more game. Mm uh caught uh has you know more experience and it's always good to learn from those kinds of individuals mm. and to see the different kinds of hunters you know i i've had just the i don't think the podcast or thank the podcast uh venue for opening a few doors for me for things that i'd kind of wanted to do for a long time but just didn't take the time to do them. You know, you mentioned hunting with foxhounds and I went out and hunted bobcats with Shorty Gorham in South Texas. Oh, cool. That must have been fun. Of, of, oh, an awesome hunt. Just a tremendous, you know, a pack of 13 foxhounds. They handled uh, terrifically. They, uh, uh, you know, they, they were just, uh, well, it was just a different world, you know, sure. and that, that brush country of South uh, Southern Texas. I don't think anybody has any idea how thick that country is until you get out there yeah, and I've, experience it. I've know? heard that. Yeah, I've heard that. That's that's so cool. That must yeah. have been that must have been an experience. Oh, it was. And these are are foxhounds that have been bred for cat hunting for generations out there. Really? And wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's that's really cool. You mentioned on on the podcast. Um, about um, the bear pen plots and your history that you had talked to, you just law, you just kind of timing wise missed the chance to go and hunt brown bear in 
in Japan. Right. Have you hunted brown bear in other areas? Have you have you gone up to BC or anything like that? Have you hunted? No, I have not. In fact, uh, my only bear hunting experiences have been with black bear. Of course, mm-hmm. color phase bear out west. I've hunted New Mexico, Arizona. Um, hunted. Uh, uh, let's see where else out that way. Those two states primarily, as far as western states, mm-hmm. were bare. Hunted, of course, in Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, Virginia, North, you know, the coast, Carolina, Florida, all up and down the east coast, Virginia, West right. Virginia, of course. But no, that was my only experience. And, uh, you know, the, uh, and actually didn't become an experience, but it was something I wanted to do very much. Mm. And, uh, and I, the stories that I heard, uh, both from reading the local newspapers and from talking to hunters like D DeMoss of, of Olympia, Washington, who had hunted those bears with hounds. Mm. Uh, that it just seemed like the ultimate hunt to me. Mm. And, uh, but you know, that caution, uh, was there from the very start from D is his, it was do not go after those bears with a deer rifle, you know, don't take a two forty three up there, right? <laughs> you know, because when, when he said any one of those bears that I've ever killed, uh, charged me, you know, when, when I killed the bear. And, uh, so yeah, that, that was just a dream that did not become a reality for me. I, I had a limited window there. I was only in Japan for three years. And so I had a, a four year enlistment with the air force, a year in Texas through school and training and all. And then I went to, to, uh, uh, to Japan. And I knew that there were plot dogs there. There were hog hunters in the Southern part of Japan that were using plots Mm. on, Mm. on on hogs. And, uh, and, and most of the bear hunting, I think that has been done with hounds in Japan were on those Southern bears, more like our black bears or Himalayan bears or whatever they are. Right, Uh, right, 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 right. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, the, 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 the black bear, the black bear hunting is something that I have never done. I'm going to, I'm working on it already, getting back and, and getting out with some, um, getting out while I'm over there. I'm going to, I'm going to, my goal is to make it to plot fest. Mm-hmm. Um, to the, uh, APA breed day. Oh, the, uh, plot fest in North Carolina. Yeah. At the, at the uh-huh. meadow, uh, the meadow lark, um, smoky mountain heritage center. The mm-hmm. one that the I'm gonna try to make it out for that one, and then we'll see uh, how it coincides time wise with the APA. Um, I would suggest to you that if you want to meet the greatest number of bear hunters mm-hmm. and enthusiasts and purists and knowledgeable breeders, mm-hmm. APA days. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Because that that's the big one in that regard. Um, right. Years ago, the National Plot Hound Association would have been the be all end all. Sure. But over the years, various just extenuating circumstances, time of the year and things like that, the bear hunters kind of migrated 
away from going to the MPHA days, uh, more because of the time of the year they were in Michigan and and Wisconsin and so forth, bear hunting at that time. Okay. That makes sense. And then, so then the springtime gathering there in Tennessee for many years, it was in South Carolina, uh, has kind of become where most of the bear hunters gather each year. That makes sense. Yeah. No, I'll keep that Mm -hmm. in mind. Um, because I would like to see if I can make it to a couple of places and I'm going to go and drive around a little bit and visit some people and and then I'll head up to, uh, I'll head up to Maine and, um, you know, visit my folks. I haven't seen them for a few years now and and yeah, try and, uh, yeah. See what, uh, see what Mark Dufresne's up to maybe or. Oh yeah. uh, (laughs) One of my favorite people. Such a, such a cool guy. My gosh. What a, what an interesting guy. Every, you know, I've, I've had my fingers in a lot of different pies throughout the years and it's not, uh, it's not, uh, not often that I, I can, I can sit down and talk to a guy who's done as big a variety (laughs) of random things as I have. I mean, what an interesting guy did the timber sports competitions for a bunch of years with the axes and the chainsaws and all that. And the, what a talented taxidermist. Oh my my gosh. (laughs) Wow. That guy's his, uh, he, he did this sort of sequence of, um, over a couple of weeks, he did, a I guess about six months ago the sequence of pictures as he um made a standard like run of the mill bear mount uh foam uh whatever you call it like the the the, the, form, the thing I yeah guess. form exactly where he wasn't real happy with it and he changed it and added a little bit here and there and molded it and what he came up with was just on it was amazing i mean it was amazing. he's an artist he's an artist in the word absolutely um, totally agree yeah. yep well i had a, a very enjoyable a uh, few days with him a couple of years ago up at in escanaba michigan at the in upper peninsula bear houndsman meeting that joe and nancy hudson uh, oh sure put on up there each year and yep. and uh, mark and i both were on the program up there and so I got to spend a lot of time with Mark mm. and of course we had talked dogs, you know, for quite some time and had met at APA days. Okay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just, I could spend weeks with Mark Dufresne. He's, <laughs> I, I, I can and have spent many an evening chatting back and forth with him, mm-hmm. uh, on, uh, on messenger. I've never actually met the, or that. I've seen him. I was mm-hmm. at, we were both at a timber sports competition at the same time. Oh, okay. so I've seen him, but I've never actually met him, mm-hmm. uh, face to face. And the other, the, you know, the other funny thing is he roads, you know, he'll road his dogs in an area where I used to train like dry land train my Huskies back in the day. Okay. So we, I'm, you know, I remember passing plots while I was out there and he remembers passing teams. So, I mean, we've, we've, we've passed each other on the periphery a bunch of times without actually connecting. I gotcha. So super, Well, the super scope of his guy. taxidermy work. And when I saw things like these, uh, full mounted moose, the bull moose. The, yeah. But the bull moose. Yeah. And he can make a bobcat look more like a bobcat than nature can. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. He he is just phenomenal. 
really, yeah. really talented and a great guy. guy. You yep. know, you would you would never know uh, what skills and talents and all uh, lay with uh, uh, within the heart of that guy for sure. And he's he is passionate about his plot dogs too. He is. He is. We've had a lot of co- good conversations about uh, about the about the breed and. You know he's he's uh you know he's the he's got the 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 ability and attention to detail of an artist, but the mind of a scientist. I mean he's just he's he's able to just take these abstract, complicated ideas and not only understand them but apply them to his own uh, program. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean the guy. Yeah. I got a lot of respect for Mark Dever. For sure. Mark, you can send your contribution to. That's right. You can. Uh, we take. Me, uh, put it in the old podcaster's retirement. <laughs> That's right. No, so, but yeah, I would love to get back and 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 get out uh, after some black bear, because um, you know I, I never did. I wasn't into the hounds when I when I moved from the states fifteen years ago, or pretty soon, pretty soon fifteen years ago. Um. But you know the what they 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 do bear hunt over here. But what we're hunting over here is that Eurasian brown bear, mm-hmm. and they won't tree. And there's also qu- a quota system, so the the season will start, and then there's a specific number of bears we can take before the season's over. So what what we end up with is um, a, a period of a couple of days where it is just uh, just a, a free for all, you know. I I talked to guys that got into fist fights on the road over who saw no, the track no. first. I mean, there's bears, there's people everywhere. I thought we southern rednecks were the only one that did stuff. <laughs> no, no, you get that Viking blood riled up, man, and they'll oh boy, they'll, yeah, they'll yeah. go nuts. But uh, <laughs> what what happened this year was that. Um, because of the coronavirus and everything, they'd shut down all of Sweden apart from a couple of counties on the, along the border. So there's only a couple of places you could hunt. The Norwegians could hunt without ending up in quarantine on the way back. Mm-hmm. So all, all the Norwegians, you know, we all ended up over there in a very small area, you know, r- realistically, and hunting very, very hard to try and get bears before the the season ended you know before mm-hmm. the quota had been reached and what ended up happening is that you know we had that they they had bears bear tracks cut and ready when it hit you know when it was legal to start mm-hmm. right the dogs right. were on the ground mm-hmm. that second mm-hmm. and they that first day they had some great runs bunch of bears got harvested you know it was it was it, it was but what happened is that they kept they kept at it because it was such a short amount of time. So by day two, some of these bears had been on their feet for 30 hours moving away from dogs. Mm. And they were getting tired and they were getting hungry and they were getting angry. Mm. And just day one, like I talked to a couple people who had, you know, a dog get a little beat up here and there. Day two was just like a massacre it was mm-hmm. insane just the the bears about halfway through day two it seemed like they just all decided to sit down and fight and 
boy, there were a bunch of beat up dogs after that. A bunch of dogs mm, got killed. A bunch of, yeah, it was, uh, it got pretty, it got pretty intense. It's, um, the black bear hunting seems like a ton of fun. The brown bear hunting, I'm still kind of on the fence about in turn. It just, boy, that seems, you talk about a war. That seems like it turns into a war pretty quick. Well, you know, everything reminds me of a story, but I, I can recall so many times over the years, my father uh, telling the boys, okay, we've treated this bear twice now, or maybe three times. Maybe it was in training season in August or whatever. We weren't taking the bear. Time to leave this bear alone. Mm. This bear has been uh, harassed enough. This bear is going to be angry. This mm. bear, when it comes out of the tree, it's going to kill or hurt dogs. Okay. You need you need to think about that and just let this bear go and let's go find another one to run. Sure. Case in point, we were on a beautiful day. I remember it was probably August in the mountains of West Virginia, lying back in the in the sunlight on a hillside, looking up a tree at a at a bear that had been treated a couple of times already, mm. and. Well, let's get the dogs and let's go. Well, we knew we had to walk out of this canyon back in on top to where our vehicles and the roads were and so forth. And uh, no, let's somebody said, let's let her out again and she'll run to the top of the mountain. We won't have to lead all these dogs. She'll tree back up on top. Mm hmm. Uh, my dad was never a pushy kind of guy. He was never tried to push his will on anybody or anything. He would mm -hmm. state his case. And then that was pretty much it. Well, except when it came to me being his son, you know, I was expected to, right. to toe the mark without question, but <laughs> at any rate, um, nope, we're going to run it. Okay. They let that bear down and she immediately picked out a walker female in that pack and killed that dog as quick as you could have done it with a switchblade knife, you know? Sure. Okay. And, uh, uh, knowledge knows, <laughs> you know, but, right. uh, and it's easy for me now at age 75 to fall into the trap of boys. You need to listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. And I try not to do that because Youth is not going to listen to that. They're going to have to find their own way. But at any rate, what you said just reminded me of that very much of those right. bears being tired, being uh, over it, so to speak. And uh, we're just not going to put up with this anymore. Sure. sure. Yeah. yeah you know, to sort of just uh, go off on a little bit of a tangent here, you know, I, I, I think that it's a little bit unfortunate and, and that in the past there was at least, I am just old enough to have been sort of part of that generation where you still kind of listened to your elders. You know, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't buck good sense, common sense. You know, experience was the deciding factor in who was kind of in charge of a si of any given situation. You know, if if it was my dad who has had the best experience, most experience, he was in charge until, you know, my uncle Bob showed up potentially. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah, de depending yeah. on what we were doing, and I I find more and more I'm, I'm I find myself getting frustrated with 
and I'll, you know, I'll include myself in this, these, these younger guys who, you know, they, they, they put so much time and energy into making sure that people know that they're legitimate, that they lose the opportunity to learn from some really excellent houndsmen. A, a great, a great example of, of what I'm talking about is I, I talked to, I, I did a podcast here with, um, with Hit Vanderkamp a couple of weeks ago. The, um, and he runs these Cole National uh, cat dogs up north and i talked to hit it a bunch of times on instagram I talked to him on on facebook um a bunch before i invited him on the podcast and he came up uh, you know on the screen in my mind i'd never seen a picture of him he was such a humble guy and he had he had so much he had so much knowledge that he just kind of in throughout the course of a conversation we would just end, it would end up coming out that this, I was getting more and more of a vibe every time I talked to the, to him, that this was a very knowledgeable guy. Right. So I had it in my mind that this was, you know, I expected when he popped up on my screen, I expected to see a 45, 50 year old guy. And just based on how humble he was, he carried himself as an, as a very humble, uh, you know, maybe 40, 45 year old. Mm-hmm. And he popped up on my screen, and he's maybe thirty. Yeah, real young, real young guy, super energetic. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, and it was just it it just it it really blew me away because his the respect that that guy had or has when he's talking to people, his ability to just pop up and ask for ask for information, and with None of the chest beating, none of the uh, posturing that I see in a lot of these, you know, a lot of these younger guys was so refreshing. And it just sort of drove home to me that I I think we've got a little bit of a problem in the hound community right now that we're actually losing a lot of excellent, excellent. We're, We're losing a lot of good knowledge just because us, you know, so many of the us young guys are not humble enough to you know, be quiet and mm-hmm. listen to the people who've done it, you know? Well, when I grew up, and I use that term a lot anymore, it seems, it was a natural order of things that the elder people in the hunting party were the ones with the most knowledge. Mm. Um, and it wasn't really stated that way, or it, but it wasn't questioned either just by virtue of the fact that they had been there, done that for so many years, uh, they were revered because of those years. Right. The years um, were like stripes for Mm. athletes. Sure. You know, that. And younger guys like myself, in one of my early podcasting stories, was on the Houndsman XP podcast that Chris Powell and I started together. Mm -hmm. And it talked about me as a kid going on a bear hunt with my father. And I told this story about in the early dawn hours, if we'd driven this four hour or something trip from our home in Southern West Virginia, and we got there just as the sun was peeping over, you know, the Eastern Ridge. 
uh, and hunters were gathered around a, a fire and just standing around as hunters in the mountains would do at that time. Hunts consisted mainly of, of uh, you know, the guys that were going to be handling the dogs going into the mountain with the dogs coupled together and maybe a start dog that would be released at some point mm-hmm. at, with the hope of starting a bear. And then there were standers that we called them that were placed around at the known crossings and so forth that the bear might take. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but as they were standing around the circle here, someone made a comment about uh, why does Fielder have this kid up here? Yeah. You know, you may have heard that story. I, I remember uh, yeah. I, it's, it's ringing a bell, but I, I, I don't remember yeah. the, uh, and, and it was, you know, it was just, my father stepped into the circle of light there at the fire and said, that's my son where I go, he goes. And that mm. was basically the end of the story, you know, right. but there was just that idea, you know, as a kid, I never interjected my two cents worth into a conversation about Mm. bear dogs or bear hunting or planning the hunt. You know, it would be typical for uh, a younger hunter today to say, well, you know, we ought to go up to such and such Ridge and that crossing up there because I saw sign up there last week. What maybe if I did see sign there, I wasn't going to say that because it wasn't my place. Right. It wasn't my station, you know, now you think, well, that was non-productive. You know, you should have spoke up. Maybe the hunt would have gone better. You know, if you know, because my opinion really wasn't, didn't carry very much weight, you know, well, the older hunters would be, well, maybe he did see the bear sound there and maybe he didn't. Hmm. And am I going to walk all the way up there just based on what this, <laughs> this not nosed kid says? Mm, right. Probably not. <laughs> so, you know, there was a changing down through the years of all that, you know, mm. but it was just generally accepted that each party had the elder statesmen, the elder hunters that knew what they were talking about. And they were usually the guys that no longer followed the dogs. They were the ones, they were the field generals. They were the sure. ones that that laid out the hunt and said, this is where we should go. And this is what we should do. And I will interject this. I think the hunts were more successful because of that, because the guys did listen to this knowledge of that. These bears do have common crossing areas and patterns that they run and so forth over time. Mm. And these people paid attention to things like that back then, you know, But now it's more or less, we have the electronics, we have the equipment we have. And so I see it. I go up to the mountains each fall and go bear hunting with a group of guys. And, and I can see a little bit of tugging, uh, push and tug between the hunters. Sometimes one wanting to kind of be, you know, be in charge. Mm. And, uh, and there's a temptation to do that, I think. And, and, but it's changed, you know, times have changed a lot from when I was a young hunter and, uh, and we definitely did revere the, uh, opinions and the experience level of the older hunters. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, 
it's something that I certainly try and instill in instill in my own boys that um you know I've got a two sons, one's nine, the other one's seven. That um you know it's 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 okay to just be quiet and soak it in because you're going to learn if you can manage to be quiet and listen you're going to learn more than if you start asking questions my dad had an expression that was short and sweet pay attention yeah <laughs> you know but dad can this and that pay attention hmm. just watch what's going on here you know right you don't have to interject anything just pay attention you know and uh that's hard for a younger hunter to do apparently nowadays, you know. I think it is. Yeah, it seems like social media I I, I kind of, you know, I don't I don't want to just be hacking on social media, but it oh, seems no, like I social media has given people this sense that their opinion matters maybe a little bit more than it does. <laughs> <laughs> Keyboard commandos I call them. Yeah, oh, man, yeah. they're they're all over the place, aren't they? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But uh, a question I did have for you was: you you still you still get out after bear? Um, what was it that got you? Were you always doing bear hunting, bear and raccoon, uh, or was that something that you kind of made a shift towards at at a later point? Or how did that? How did the the coon hunting kind of enter enter into your your life? Well. The chicken and the egg type. Um, the coon hunting was probably there earlier than the bear hunting. Okay. And it was for my dad as well. My dad grew up on the farm in Tennessee. I've told the story many, many times, you know, with the cur dogs, the tree dogs that they used for tree game, possum, squirrels, occasional coons, skunks, mm -hmm. any kind of fur bear that they could catch and 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 skin it and sell the hide um and so after the war when he and my mother got married and they moved to west virginia where she was from um he right away sat out to get some dogs of his own and uh, the first dogs that he had were rabbit dogs and i don't say beagles because they were actually full-size hounds and he ran rabbits with and that didn't last very long. I think he wanted the tree dog. And, and so he got tried some different things. He got a, a pair of uh, speckled colored English type dogs uh, from some coonhound kennel. They were pretty trashy. Didn't work out real well. Then in 1954, he got this plot female that I've talked about. Mm. And um, my dad was kind of a, a innovator there in that area because nobody had any registered dogs, but these dogs were registered with the UKC. So started coon hunting those dogs. But then about that time, uh, so I'm, uh, when June came to live with us, I'm about eight years old. Okay. And, uh, so at that point on, you know, the coon hunting, then the occasional, weekend trips to the eastern mountains a couple hours away to to hunt bears and so my dad and i kind of got into the bear hunting together and of course he was able to take it to levels you know as as a young man that i did not but um anyway that that's kind of how it started out it was tree game 
uh, and, uh, and then the bears is, but you, you got to understand at that time in that part of the country, there was very little tree game to be had of any kind. Mm. Coons were very scarce. Bears were very scarce. You know, there were black bears all through the Eastern mountains, the Appalachian mountains, but around the turn of the century, around 1900 and through that area and into the depression, they were just about all cleared out. Okay. Uh, you know, there were mountain families all through those mountains and, uh, they pretty much had eradicated the black bear, uh, except for a few high mountain ranges. You know, uh, when I say high in that general area, the, the highest peaks are somewhere around 4,500 feet above sea level. Sure. So, you know, they're not the, the taller mountains of the, of the Smokies or certainly not the Rockies, but, um, yeah, coon hunting was first, you know, tree dogs going with the, with the tree dog and then being able to go along in these bear hunts, you know, one thing led to another. Sure. Were you, and you got, and you were using the same dogs for both things. Yeah. I tried to make that point, um, in that podcast mm. that all through the years, those dogs that I mentioned in that podcast were used both ways. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, uh, when I went to Michigan in the early eighties to work for the registries and I began to talk to the bear hunters up there a lot and they were all about breaking their dogs off coon they didn't want a dog to treat coon at all um, dog gets behind bad water whatever you got to go to him he's got a coon treat hmm. saw that with some of my own dogs that i took on bear hunts with guys hmm. and it was embarrassing when they'd treat a coon after daylight when you're trying to get a bear track started sure so yeah, but, um, you know, I, uh, due to my work, <clears throat> I had to pretty much put the bear hunting on, on the back, back burner. Whereas my dad was entering into retirement years and all there in West Virginia mm. and had some good hunters to hunt with, mm. uh, and was able to, to kind of, you know, go full speed bear hunting there for a number of years sure. <clears throat> so that really improved our efforts our breeding efforts and the dogs that we had mm. and all but they were always the same stock you know if i want for instance these uh, i had this pair of males named roper and Wrangler. they were six months apart they were sired by a dog called hills plot solomon he came down from the uh, family breeding of the Butch and Jill dogs and so forth. Mm -hmm. Now, have that litter, uh, or, or of the litter sired by the Solomon dog, both of the ones that I chose to train made finished out in UKC in their night champion titles oh, and wow. so forth. Yeah. Uh, so I know that they were capable of doing that, but most people didn't do that with the dogs. They simply, you know, kept them for big game hunting. Uh, so, but they were very versatile in that, in that regard. And I, I, I had no trouble, um, uh, you know, using them both ways. That's interesting. I, I like, th there's something about a, a versatile dog that, and a versatile hound that appeals, appeals to me. It, it seems like, um, it seems like it's, it's more and more 
you're seeing these lines that are becoming more and more specific on one's on one thing where you know i i i kind of still enjoy being out there with with a hound or really any dog that has the ability to you know dip its toes into several ponds you know to so so mm-hmm. to speak and I, I I worry sometimes, and I, I definitely see it here in Scandinavia, where you know there people will have one thing that they one thing that they'll run with their dogs. You know, you're not. I've only talked to a couple of guys where it's like, well, we will hunt, you know, badger, pine marten, fox, lynx, bear. There's only a couple of guys I've talked to who will do that. Mm-hmm. You know the absolute most of them it's like well we will hunt bear that's it or we'll hunt lynx that's it we'll hunt fox that's it and it's you know i on the one hand i can understand it's it makes it very predictable for you you know when you go out you know what you're going to run there's no question you know but at the same time it, I, th- I think like how how many crazy fun experiences are, are, are some of these people going you know, missing. And not only that, what are they doing to the breed? You know, the, and a perfect example of that is the Norwegian Dunker Hound. That was a really, that, that was a very versatile hound based off of the needs of the, the poor Norwegian farmers and what they needed to hunt. And, they, and you know, that was, that was any fur-bearing animal, basically, including, including deer, including rabbits, you know, and fox and all of these things. What happened is in the 80s, the fox population collapsed entirely. We got a bad pop, a bad case of, or a bad uh, sort of epidemic of mange, and 90% of the foxes died. So suddenly there weren't foxes to run anymore. And they started breeding them away from the fox, the lines that were really good with the fox, and bred them specifically for hair and you know it is very very hit or miss now in terms of in terms of you know whether how well a dunker is going to hunt fox which is really unfortunate because you've got you know as you kind of split these dogs into smaller and smaller niches the genetic you know the 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 material that you've got to work with gets slimmer and slimmer so there's you know there's some very serious issues with inbreeding in some of these smaller breeds that i think maybe wouldn't it wouldn't have been the case if they hadn't put so much effort into breeding them to just chase one specific thing well i see this in the plot breed Hmm. and you know i know that there will be those that will disagree with what i'm going to say but Always and forever, the plop breed was a locating tree dog. By locating tree dog, I mean they located on scent, and they would stay treed if it was an hour or two hours or half the night. Uh, and uh, they were, first and foremost, a tree dog. They, My father, I heard him say many times, you know, puppies will tree before they'll ever run a track. Mm. It was a strong instinct in the plot breed. 
I've seen down through the years now with more and more emphasis on the rig hunting and the hot tracks and the trail cams and the, all the things that everybody wants instant gratification. You know, let's go run a bear. Let's check the camera. If that big bear's been on there, we'll run that bait. If we don't, we're going to run over to another bait. We're not going to bother. And it has particular preserve the population i'm sure and it saved a lot of sow bears and cubs and things like that and that's all good and i'm i support all that i don't i don't support taking any of these tools away from bear hunters hmm. and i'm just saying that uh as far as the dogs themselves i don't think the plot dog has the natural locating treeing ability that they had down okay. through the years gotcha that is yeah. yeah it's it's that's that makes sense you know when when you say it that uh, i i hadn't really thought about it but um that that makes sense that the breed would would change a little bit as but does that are those the big game lines that you're thinking about there yeah. or well what i'm saying here yeah what what's happening then that is eroding into that versatility versatility sure you yep. know because the dog that could be used taken out of a litter of plot puppies and let's make a coon dog out of this one let's make a bobcat dog out of this one let's make a hog dog out of this one right we'll make a bear dog out of the other one and maybe we'll just run red fox with this one or mm. in the southern deer packs here in in the southeast united states right uh you know how the various hound breeds uh but the plot again you know without getting on that stump and all but there was uh there's a book called 20 years hunting fishing in the great smoky mountains written by a self-proclaimed expert hunter named samuel honeycutt have you read it I haven't read it. No, I've heard, okay. I've heard about it. I would love to read it. It's a very interesting book. It's a very poorly written book. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for all the aesthetics, you know, of, of fine writing and, and punctuation and <laughs> paragraph oh, usage that's... and all that good stuff, you're probably not going to be impressed, but there is a, quote in that book that i picked up on when i started a website for plot people called plotdogs.com and it's no longer active but i did operate that for many years and it had a message for them and it was a, a gathering place for plot people but uh, the sam honeycutt wrote that on this one occasion on a hunt that they took that all the dogs on the hunt were hounds except mark kathy's dogs okay and and mark kathy's dogs were plot dogs huh okay so that in in a capsule there uh illustrated how the plot was regarded in the early days and there's been this argument about whether they were curs or whether they were hounds or whatever right he say they were curs he said they all the dogs were hounds except mark's dogs and they were plot dogs huh. so there was a distinct difference from way back there right they were a houndy looking dog 
Mm-hmm. Some of them had longer ears than others. Some, you know, yeah. but but anyway, there there was always that distinction. But those dogs were tree dogs, mm. and that's one of the things that I ask. You know, and I don't mean to throw it out there as a trick question to younger people, but they talk about a certain strain of dogs of plots, mm-hmm. and maybe they're using them for hog hunting. And, and, you know, the dogs specialize. It, it, hog hunters want them tight-mouthed. Mm-hmm. They want hot-nosed, tight-mouthed, fast dogs that can mm-hmm. get up on that hog, get, get the hog caught. You know, mm-hmm. understand all those things. That's what's, I guess, so great about that breed is that it's versatile enough, you know, to be all those things. Sure. But I always like to ask, how does the dog naturally locate and tree on scent? You know, because to me, that's just kind of the, the, um, I don't know the term I want to use, but it, it's like the lynch, the, 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 the key to the whole combination sure. for me. Sure, sure, sure. Is, the is foundation of skills yeah. first. Yeah, into yep. the skill set. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's the main thing. That's the ratchet, I guess. Gotcha. And, uh, and then you can have all these other tools, you know, so. But that's just one old man's opinion. Well, I, I love it, Steve. I really, really appreciated you sitting down, or I appreciate you sitting down and talking to me. It's um, I've wanted to talk to you for a couple of years now, and we've messaged a little bit on Facebook, but it's uh, it's a totally different thing to get down. You know, it's uh, to sit down and you know be able to see your face and 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 get to chat a little bit with you has been a real pleasure for me. I really appreciate you coming. Well. On. The pleasure's all mine, Bear, and I've enjoyed your work for quite some time, and I'm listening to you more and more all the time. Uh, of course, Jason that. and Buddy kind of introduced me, uh, or you to me, and said, you need to listen to this guy. You'll enjoy him, and, and I certainly have, and, and I'm envious of your youth. I'm envious of everybody <laughs> that's young. I said the other day, I just wish I could take my houndsman card and have more time put on it, sure. you know? So here we go. Put me about mm, 10, maybe 15 years at least on there. And, uh, but it doesn't work that way. The, you know, the body begins to take its toll, but I've been fortunate enough to have a, a network of friends across the country and now around the world. And now around the world. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Amazing to, um, to talk to and to, to exchange ideas and, mm. Sure, don't ever want to leave the impression that I I know everything about this sport because I certainly don't. But I sure do love it. I don't think anyone can top me on that factor. Mm. But uh, but it's it's been good to me in so many ways. Yeah. Well, that's that's good to hear. And you know, it's uh, ooh, you know, I I don't. You can go back. Anybody who wants to can go back and listen to any of the podcasts I've done and and there's not a single there's not a single arrogant person on there because I don't have any time for arrogant people and it's why you know one of the, so you know one of the one of definitely one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is I've listened to your podcasts for since you started doing them and um you know, you're, it's you know, same thing. It's like I, what I respected a lot about, you know, Hitta 
you know, as same can be said mm. for a lot of my guests and certainly you is that, you know, you're, you're, you're humble, humble guys with a real interest for something that I've also got a real interest for. Mm. It's a shared passion and a, a desire to, a desire to learn. And, uh, I, 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 I hope that I never lose that. I hope that I can, when I'm you know, your age that I can look at, look at a few more years under my belt here and, and, and say, you know, that it's still as fascinating to me as it clearly is to you. And that, that, that's really cool to me. Well, I think it will be. And it's, it's exciting for me to think about what the future holds for you and (laughs) your hounds. And, uh, I'm as particularly interested in that plot and see how that he, yeah, well, he, He's my main guy at this point, you know, this, uh, that Russian dog got bitten in the face by a fox and Ooh. that was enough to turn him off. Dan get kicks, get, Dan get kicks, gets kicked in the face by a moose and starts a vendetta. <laughs> Bring this it on other, big boy. <laughs> right. This other dog gets bitten in the face by a little fox cub and that's, that was it for him. Yeah. Well, one thing I'd like to interject just a little bit Yeah. <clears throat> and in this podcasting world, you know, and especially those with the, uh, that are in the coon hunting world that I kind of circulated in. That was the tank I swam in for many years through my work with the Mm. registries and so forth. Sure. Uh, I won't say it's a temptation, but a lot of guys want to go out and try to find the superstars, try to find the big winners, try to find the big winning dogs and all that. And those are great stories. And I enjoy hearing them too. But like just this week, I recorded with a young man from the state of Tennessee, Elijah Burnett. Elijah's 26 years old. Elijah is basically a pleasure hunter. He has no credentials. He has no big stories to tell. Mm -hmm. What he does have is a love and a passion for tree dogs. And I wanted to talk to Elijah and bring him on and see kind of what makes this young uh, young man tick and what it, you know, what's the future looking like from his perspective and you know he's a guy that would send me a lot of questions and i really enjoy that part of this thing is getting back and forth on messenger with people and and trying to help them maybe with the problem they have or sometimes they give me a real head scratcher and i'd say you know i i don't know about that i'm gonna have to think about that but at any rate that the point being you know is it's we're all out here together and it's uh it's a sport that so far we can all enjoy and we have to take protect we have to protect it that's for sure we absolutely do have to protect it and there's a lot of um you know just this last couple weeks there's been a lot of new legislation a lot of new a lot of new attacks on on the sport and a lot of threats from from people who just don't understand what it is that we do you know in 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 the same way that you were talking about the plots having you know getting an undeserved reputation because they were for being aggressive because they were bear dogs and clearly a bear dog needed to be aggressive i feel like houndsmen in general and hound hunting has gotten a reputation that uh by association that we don't deserve and absolutely you know we need to you know, we need to stand together and I see, you know, some pro, you know, some people in the sport and some, you know, some profiles in the sport spend more time making the new guys feel like idiots mm. than they do trying to help really, you right. know, the, 
and I, I feel like you know if if anybody comes to me with a question nine times out of ten I'm not going to be able to answer that question because I just don't have the experience necessary to. But what I am starting to have is a network of people with knowledge. And I, I mean, nothing makes me happier than connecting two people together. You know, right. having somebody call right. ask me, you know, I've got a dog doing this. What do I do? And I'll be like, you know what? I don't know. But, you know, Johan Plank might be able to answer that question or Mark, mm. Mark might be able to answer that question, you know. And it's, I, I really think that unless we kind of all get together and you know treat each other right and take care of some of these you know we we've kind of even on this podcast a little bit you know we've talked a little bit of how the young guys don't necessarily listen and things like that but ultimately it's the young guys that are going to be keeping this alive so you know let's try and be patient with them i guess let let them be let them be young and dumb while they can and because they're going to be well keeping it going be patient for one thing, yes, and give them good information that yeah. they can use that will help them yeah. and can have it uh, and present it in that way, not from a know-it-all attitude or holier-than-thou attitude, but an attitude of, hey, you know, your journey is going to be a little different than mine was. You're going to encounter some things that I didn't have to deal with. Right. So I'm going to give you all that I can to try to help you down that road. And, and, you know, I'm going to pray for you that, <laughs> that it all works out. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good note to, uh, good note to end on. I really appreciate uh, you coming on. I really appreciate everything you do, all the podcasts, everything you've done, you know, I mean, and I mean, the podcast is just one of the more recent things of the many, many, many things you've done for, for the, the, uh, us houndsmen and and the sport and the breeds and everything i just uh appreciate everything everything you do so i well thanks for coming i feel on, that i feel that coming through the headphones brother and That's i appreciate good. the opportunity to be on with you today and i'll be listening keep the good programming coming like thanks again bear like likewise thank you Man, I love that sound.